Howdy, you're listening to the Think Brasses podcast. We host conversations with locals, politicians, and policy experts to help families thrive in Brazos County, Texas. So when you're thinking about how to make your community better, just remember, think local, think Brazos. We are joined by Miss Lindsay Hackett, who is a certified planner and consultant. Yeah. I probably butchered that, but uh, to come on today and, and talk to us about uh, some things related to a city's affordability and other areas. So we're really excited to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So can you um, go in just for a few minutes uh, on your background, how you got to the point of being a I'm going to call it urban planner, but you can define it differently. Um, and now a consultant. Um, how did that come about? Did you just wake up when you were five years old and be like, I want to be a planner? Like, how did, how did that start? <laughs> That's a great question. So um, actually, when I was younger, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew I would pick from the majors that Texas A&M offered. Ah. <laughs> Aggie family, for sure. Um, but I I knew that I wanted to um, help folks that may not have a route to always help themselves. Okay. And so I actually went to A&M with a construction science background at first. Oh, really? Okay. And I wanted to use that overseas hmm. to help develop infrastructure in developing countries. Um, Interesting. And I found out because urban planning is a pretty new uh, field. Oh, okay. And so it wasn't until it was between my freshman and sophomore year, a friend of mine said, what you're describing sounds like urban planning. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> what's that? And boy, I switched over and I never looked back. So oh. I did my undergrad and my master's at A&M in urban planning mm -hmm. with actually a focus on housing. Oh, okay. And then I was able to work uh, locally with the municipalities here in town for five, six years. And okay. then uh, just recently during the pandemic, I made the switch to private sector. And so now I have Hackett Planning LLC, my oh, own nice. little planning firm here in town. That's awesome. Are you staying pretty busy? Yeah. Yeah. Being able to uh, balance out family time and work time. It's been really That's good. That's good. So what would you call one of your um, most interesting projects you've worked on either in the public sector, like you were talking about before, or uh, even in school, does one stick out to you? It's like, I made a difference here. <laughs> oh man. I hope that's not uh, yeah. put you too much on the spot. That's such a, it's such a good question. And it's really hard to um, isolate the impacts that your projects sure. have. Sure. Um, there was, there was a project that I worked on um, in school that was actually called the power of play. Okay. And it was a project that looked at play equipment for kids. And as the kids played, it developed, it operated a generator and used kinetic what? energy to recharge batteries. And then that's awesome. Uh, could create here in, in the developed world, it could be used to create, you know, charging stations and charging portals for sure. folks in, in like a public space, for example. Okay. Um, and the way that that technology is utilized overseas in developing countries mm -hmm. is, um, that they would use it as playground equipment for schools and mm -hmm. it would recharge batteries for lanterns nuts. and then kids could go home and help with their family's land and, and anything that they were doing 
when the oh, sun went okay. down, so they, had light. they would have light to do their homework, so their education wasn't impacted. That's pretty cool. It was pretty fascinating. Did you ever get to visit uh, the country or countries you were um, doing this for, or was it more generally? No, it was more of a generalized concept of okay. how we could utilize that really well. Um, and so, unfortunately, it wasn't one that I, I uh-huh. personally got to see the impact uh, Okay. Of. Well, it's like that with a lot of different things. I know with us at Habitat, same kind of thing. You know, you start the process of, of doing something for someone and you don't know where it's going to end up generations from now, but that's a really cool, um, really cool project. Wow. Thanks. My head's still thinking about how, uh, I wonder if the cities could do this with all their parks that they build. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You can, there's some fun ways yeah. to incorporate it into parks or, you know, public spaces in downtowns or. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So, <laughs> We wanted to talk to you today. Uh, one of the topics that we wanted to make sure we discuss today is um, something that matters a lot to affordable housing developers, um, as well as people that live in those communities. And it, and it is this idea of missing middle housing as a, I think, as a tool um, that impacts affordability as well as, I'm going to make up a word, usability of a neighborhood. So, want to hear more about this missing middle thing. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Um, so missing middle housing is actually a term that was coined by Dan Paralek in okay. 2010. So it's it's a relatively recent new. concept. Yeah. And um, the, the way that it's defined is um, it's house scale buildings with multiple units in walkable neighborhoods. Okay. And no offense to Mr. Paralek, but I think that's a kind of confusing definition. A little bit. And so what I like to say is that when you think about, you've got a single family detached home all the way up to, you have large apartment complex. Mm -hmm. There are so many housing options between those. When you think about that, that range of scale between those. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the mid 1940s, most regulations that were put in place actually made developments like that illegal. And so a lot of municipalities across the nation just don't have the regulations to even permit housing like this to be developed. Illegal. Interesting. Illegal, not in that like someone's going to try and sneak in to build one and you're going to like shut it down kind of thing. It's that you just. The regulations are not in place for you to be able to get a permit. And to this day, a lot of cities are still like that? Yeah. It's it's something that you have to go in and create change and okay. change your policies to allow this type of housing to okay. be constructed again. Because uh, the places that you'll see it is most common in historic neighborhoods. Okay. And so here locally, um, historic downtown, uh, historic Bryan, so the neighborhood yeah. on the other side of Texas Avenue. Uh-huh. Um, there's kind of mixed in, there's different housing types. There's a cute little duplex. You'd never know that it was a duplex until uh-huh. you really look at it. Um, there's a cool plex house that has mm-hmm. multiple units within it mm-hmm. and they blend right into the neighborhood. What about, I'm just trying to, to make sure that I understand and whoever's listening, uh, what some of these units would look like for missing middle. Would that include, I don't know if anyone's living above it, but in downtown Bryan, you've got uh, Mr. G's Pizza on the corner. And above it, you've got at least one story, maybe two, 
that looks like at one time it was an apartment. So would that be an example or am I way off? No, I think that's pretty close. That's on the higher end okay. of the range. And Got so it. the range includes things like duplexes, cottage courts or pocket okay. neighborhoods, um, townhomes, mm-hmm. plex units, so triplexes, fourplexes. And then close to what you're talking about, there's something called a live work unit mm-hmm. where, you know, you think about, I don't know, we see it in like sitcoms sometimes where we live above our shop and right. then we walk downstairs to our business. Man, that's cool. And, uh, but having this separate where you have the shops at the bottom and then apartments above mm-hmm. is probably just on the other end of, okay. of the scale or, or right there at the, the top end. So that's why we bring the expert on to, <laughs> to point that out. And so, okay. So it's basically, um, difficult to build from a regulatory standpoint. Um, what is, I, I think I kind of have an idea of some of the values to the neighborhood, to the city, to the family living in one of these units, what that value is to them. But, if you can go into a little more detail on on what missing middle accomplishes, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about that, it, I would want to first define another term. Sure. Um, and that's infill development. Okay. And so um, when you're looking at infill development, it's you're filling in mm. the holes. Of, oh, that's easy. You know, you might have a neighborhood where there's a couple of houses that were torn down a long time ago, and there's just vacant spaces, so you fill it in, infill development. Got it. And this type of development is actually a really great option because it capitalizes on existing infrastructure. Okay. And so uh, the portion yeah. of a development cost, if you're building a new neighborhood, you're paying for streets, you're paying for water, you're paying for sewer, all of the utilities, oh, yeah. all of the infrastructure. And so if you can look at an area where the infrastructure is already in place, Mm -hmm. then your development will see these cost savings. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The types of the the generally the most common locations, Mm -hmm. at least that, you know, I've seen where infill development, these options are most likely to be available, Mm -hmm. where the infrastructure has been existing for a while is going to be places that are a little bit closer to a town center. Okay. They're not going to be way out on the edge of town because that's where a lot of the new, you know, suburbia type developments are. Okay. And so what this ties into and kind of what I'm getting at here is walkability. And by looking at an area of town that's closer to amenities, closer to places to eat, Mm -hmm. places to shop, and that you might be able to even walk to, then you don't necessarily have to plan so intensely for cars. That's a good point. And when you don't have to utilize a a significant portion of your um, land for the vehicle, then you have more space for people. And so you might be able to add a couple of units. You might be able to add a little bit more density. And in doing so, you're you're taking advantage of your existing infrastructure, Mm -hmm. providing... um, better amenity locations for people and helping folks save money by not having to buy a car. Yeah. And there's just a lot, a lot. It's it's very nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I was just thinking when you were, you were saying that, that, um, my wife and I, uh, went on a date recently and, uh, we tried to obviously every now and then. Um, and, uh, we've realized that we just constantly are coming back to downtown Bryan and it's mm-hmm. no offense to, I mean, this community, the whole thing is awesome. Uh, it has different flavors, but 
we were talking and realized, you know, I think we keep coming back to downtown, Brian, for the reason you're kind of describing. And it mm-hmm. is we don't have to plan out exactly where we're going to eat. We can park mm-hmm. in there and then just walk around mm-hmm. and try to uh, see what we're feeling like that day versus having to drive around. And, and you know, it, it's just a different feel. So I was pontificating. But uh, <laughs> um Okay, so we've got this, these benefits for missing middle. Uh, you haven't mentioned, uh, you touched on it a little bit with infill, I think, but can you expound on what, if any, benefits missing middle type housing uh, has for a municipality? Um, are there benefits there too? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in in kind of the development world, there's a little motto or or slogan or something that people say, uh, retail follows rooftops. Right. And when a retail establishment is trying to decide where to locate, they're looking at the demographics of an area. They're kind of counting heads in a way. Mm -hmm. And they want to be able to see if there's a market that will support their establishment. Right. And, you know, I'm all in support of, you know, business is business and, you know, want to be able to let people do that. And so, when you're looking at an area and you're like, well, there's just not enough density for mm-hmm. this business to come in, then, you know, you're missing out on, on a potential economic okay. you know, piece that's coming in because they're choosing to go somewhere else where there's enough density to support their business. So are you thinking of kind of like if, I hope Walgreens doesn't get mad at me, but if they're <laughs> thinking about putting another uh, Walgreens, so more of like a corner store type thing, they're going to want to put it in an area where there are enough people to support that. That's basically what you're saying, right? Right. And so the implications of this are, if you think about, um, there's a term food deserts, Mm -hmm. where if you live in in a neighborhood and you don't really have easy access to fresh foods, Mm -hmm. and you might have to get into a car that you may or may not have, and then go a long distance to just go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. But if there's an area that's a little bit more dense, then you may be able to have a smaller scale grocery store be located more frequently throughout areas. And it's not really a threat to the HEBs and Walmarts of the world because, you know, everyone loves HEB. Mm-hmm. But is is there a way that if someone needs to be able to go get a loaf of bread, get some fruit, you know, right. be able to have access to these healthier food options are... We creating a built environment that allows for these types of developments to even occur. Right. Okay. And that kind of ties into another term I wanted to throw out. Go for it. Which is uh, my last one, maybe. Uh, Urban design. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's a term so much as just a concept. Okay. And urban design is creating this is my definition personally not okay. not anyone's special words okay. uh, but it's creating spaces that feel welcoming to all people mm-hmm. at any time of day ah. and so you think about it everyone can think of a place where you're like mm, i wouldn't really go there late at night right but if you're creating if you have a well-built urban design you know safe space you can also think of spaces that you may have been to in the past you're like i know that i would be perfectly safe there if i walked mm-hmm. there alone at 1 a.m yeah Right. And so that is not done on accident. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time there's, there's concepts and there's goals 
that can go towards creating a built environment that creates safe spaces for people to have access to these different amenities Mm -hmm. within, within their neighborhood. And it's hard to do that without bringing in this kind of gentle density, if you will, that you would get from missing middle housing. Yeah. It's hard to do that if your only housing choice is a single family home tucked into a suburban neighborhood or an extremely dense apartment complex. Mm-hmm. It's just those don't really match up with that that kind of vision that a lot of people right. can can consider for the future. So let me ask this. Um I guess you've probably studied quite a bit of of you know towns across the world that a lot of them I know I've been to Europe and a lot of those towns have a lot of the types of units in different ways than uh that missing middle kind of thing what we're missing a lot of um it seems like it's more of an evolution over time rather yeah. than if the rules allow you to um than a all at once you know build this stuff and my question is, do you feel that missing middle housing is something that has to be developed incrementally? Or is it something that you really could rebuild? Yeah, I I think that's a great question. And honestly, I might not have said this even yesterday, but I think you can have both. Okay. Um, if you are, you know, operating in an existing neighborhood that mm-hmm. you're looking at infill development. Mm-hmm. Infill development specifically is something that needs that will generally occur incrementally over time. And that incremental aspect is actually the best way to also respect the existing right. tenants and homeowners within that neighborhood. Because if you make that sudden flash pan of mm-hmm. development, then you are impacting their, you know, property costs and, and right. um, housing costs and everything. But not to say that you can't bring in this type of housing in greenfield development. So you've got okay. a large, you know, couple acres of land. I have heard of ways that that's been done where mm-hmm. the key, the key is to blend your housing types. Okay. Really any new development can be taking advantage of this and new developments that can utilize urban design to mm-hmm. bring in, you know, different housing type options. Because when you're doing that, you are blending the types of people that you have in a community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're building this all at once, you're also going to be bringing in, you might have, you know, folks that are working, you know, mm-hmm. blue collar jobs. You might have, you know, white collar folks. You may have food service. You may have, you know, upper management of some big company. Mm-hmm. And it studies have shown that it's good for people to be around diverse people yeah, and right. have different, you know, your, your view of the world can be impacted by empathy of what other people are going through. And you're going to see like, Oh, you're having this experience. that's different from mine. Let's yeah. have a conversation because you're my neighbor. And that's a really good point. That is, is something that I think you can get in greenfield development. You can get that in infill okay. development. It's just, Bringing in varied housing types and blending them together, I think, is a really good thing for communities. Yeah. So all this sounds incredibly promising and positive. Doesn't seem like there's much of a downside. Um, both cities in our community seem to, in different ways, be looking at this concept. But I've also heard that that some communities have 
not here necessarily, but some communities have had resistance to the idea of, I guess, more from a regulatory standpoint, Mm -hmm. um, changing the development rules to allow for this again. Um, Have you heard of of cities that are like not super happy about this idea? And uh, what would you tell them to, I guess, think about it again? I think that's a great question. Um, (laughs) And honestly, I think the root of people's fears, I think you said it in the question, is change. And if someone comes up to you and says, I'm going to ask you to do something and it's going to be different from what you know, that's scary. People have fear around that. And I mean, you can't blame them. Right. And so I think what I would say to communities like that is um, be willing to try something and be willing for it to not be perfect Mm. because, you know, we're human and cities are made up of humans. and. When we walk forward through that, if you sit in fear of creating the perfect regulation that will never have any problems, then you're never going to be able to to adopt a change. Right. You have to move forward knowing that something may need to be updated in the future, or you may have uh, you know new information that comes on that can right. make something better. Yeah. And so one decision's not going to be your, your end all be all for anything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would say that that's true for any policy creation. It's a really good point. <laughs> wow. I've got so many other questions that we can get to you today. Maybe we can, um, maybe we can get you on again in the future and talk about some of these others. Uh, but did you have anything on this topic that you wanted to bring up before we, uh, call it a day? Um, I think. It's, it's been a really great conversation. I think the only other um, piece that I could I could throw out is um, just looking at the housing. Who's buying housing right now? You know, millennials right. are. You know, <laughs> I am a millennial, and we've we've been not- notoriously uh, desperate for being able right. to purchase homes because exactly. of the uh, the avocado toast issue. Yeah, yeah it's a problem. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> One of the items that uh, Dan Parallax, so he's the okay. guy who, who coined that missing right. middle housing term, he is involved with the Strong Towns group. And uh, one statistic that he put forward was 60% of millennials are looking for homes that have walkable living and missing middle housing. Mm. And so you don't want to write off an entire generation of people that are looking for homes. That's and so, true. um, you know, if, if cities want to be able to take advantage of this market and if developers want to be able to build something that there's clearly demand for, then uh, it's something to consider. That's awesome. Well, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, Lindsay. Um, again, we'll have to get you back on the show. I love it. Um, but yeah, this has been Lindsay Hackett uh, talking to us about um, missing middle housing. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Think Brass's podcast is brought to you by Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. Our mission is a community where everyone can afford a home they're proud of. Habitat is a 501c3 charitable organization, so we do not make political endorsements. If you'd like to support our work in the community, you can make a tax-deductible donation online at habitatbcs.org. The Think Brass's podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and on our website at thinkbrasses.org. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd prefer to watch videos of our conversations. Thanks for listening, and just remember, think local, think Brazos.